Well, hello, hello, and welcome on into the Glenn Merzer podcast. Yes, we are moving right along with this show gallantly and valiantly with our host, who is an author, screenwriter, playwright, comedian, and now, of course, a podcast host. It is none other than Glenn Merzer. Hi, hi, Glenn. How you doing? <laughs> Good, Rich. Nice to be here. I just love the name of this show, The Glenn Merzer Show. I, I am your <laughs> eponymous host of The Glenn Merzer Show. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I shouldn't probably toot my own horn too much, but it's not too many podcast hosts who are both eponymous and anonymous. So that's not bad. <laughs> I don't know how you get to do uh, both, Glenn. Uh, that's that's, I, that's I'm a trick. kind of a renaissance man. Yes, exactly. I'm kind of a renaissance man. <laughs> We have a special guest today, my old friend, Dr. John Tanner. And when I say doctor, he's not a medical doctor. John, you have a, is it a PhD in electrical engineering? Is that right? Computer science, master's in electrical engineering. Computer science. Okay. So what is the distinction between, uh, between uh, do those fields overlap? Um, they certainly do. Um, uh, what I really focused on was integrated circuit design. And in most universities, that would be in the electrical engineering department. But for some reason, I've never uh -huh. been able to figure out at Caltech, uh, chip design was in the computer science department. Okay. And as I recall, John, I may get this wrong, but I remember asking you about this in the past. You somehow, in your company that you founded, Tanner Research, you somehow like design the chips that design the chips to make microchips <laughs> or something like that? Oh, great. For, for many years, we uh, developed the software that we sold to chip designers that they used to design the chips. So you came up with the software that designed the chips that designed the chips. <laughs> with extra left. <laughs> or something, something like, like that. that. <laughs> yeah, it was a little redundant. A little bit, but. Rich, have you ever, in your spare time, Rich, have you ever come up with software to design chips? No, you know, I stopped designing software. I learned basic back in the 80s and how to program like that. And I used to be able to get the computer to draw a Snoopy that would wave. And then I was out. I never progressed any further than that. So when it comes to any other kind of software, I'm sorry. So you just basically did Snoopy. That was it. That was all I could do. Yep. <laughs> Right. I, I thought that was so, quite a trick that the computer would draw him and get him to wave. And uh, I had to write that out line by line by line. And oh my goodness, was that was that tough. And then I gave up after that. All right. <laughs> well, um, I think we could say that John has gone further than, mm. than you did with the software Much. design. Yes. Yes. Okay. So um, in spite of John's evident intelligence, he apparently ate the standard American diet for a while. Is that right, John? 52 years. For 52 years, you grew up eating the standard American mm -hmm. diet. And then as you entered middle age, you were still eating the standard American diet. And what was your weight like? Let's say when you were 40 years old. Um, well, when I was a young adult, I was 150, but I gradually over up through age 52, uh, went up to about 205. Okay. 
So as a young adult, young adult, and you're what six, six oh, six over six, six oh. So at six foot tall, one fifty, you were pretty slender as a young man, and then you gained fifty five pounds just by eating more or less the way you'd always been eating, right? Pretty much. Maybe exercising a little less. A little less. Yeah. So proof that the standard American diet, you know, over time is what gets you. You start putting on the weight. Um, and then you wanted to lose weight. Right, That's right. Ken? So tell tell us the story. What did you read? The Atkins <laughs> uh, diet book or something? What did, what did you do? I did. And uh, there was a tiny little bit of science in there, I thought. And so I didn't look into it really closely, but just started... Uh, focusing more on um, avoiding carbohydrates and eating more uh, proteins and fats. And um, that's, that's really what accelerated my, um, my weight gain, I think. But, uh, but then um, at some point I decided that I was too fat and I, I started exercising more and, uh, and on the standard American diet and well, plus Adkins diet, I was able to lose uh, about 25 pounds. Okay, so what did you do when you lost that 25 pounds on the Atkins diet? Was it a lot of jogging, a lot of exercise, or was it caloric restriction? Or, or, and, and do you think also that part of it was that it was stressing your kidneys, so you were losing some water weight. That could be. I was definitely exercising. I was running a mile every day. Um, thought I was okay. <laughs> what a mistake that was. Yeah. Um, but you were um, you were eating more meat and less so-called carbohydrates. So did that meant avoiding rice, potatoes, uh, sweets, right? And, and I was eating eating and, more salads, um, but piled on the salads, of course, would be meat and cheese. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, and so you did manage to lose weight that I way. I did. And this is, this is an important lesson. I once came across a book called The Ice Cream Diet. And I, I can't say that I read it cover to cover. But... You could probably lose weight on the ice cream diet. If you just have two big bowls of ice cream a day and nothing else, calorically, you're restricting yourself. You could lose weight, you know, eating almost anything if the, if the calorie count doesn't come in that high. The question is, can you lose weight in a sustainable way and in a healthy way? And I would vote that the ice cream diet probably isn't too healthy. Um, so you managed to lose 25 pounds. You're down to what? Around 180, 185. Yeah. And that's when you, that's when you went jogging for the one day out of five years after five years in a row. Uh, but this, uh, particular day, this was a 2009 ended a bit differently than all those other days. Yeah. So tell us, tell us about that day mm. when you went jogging, what happened? Well, I don't remember it at all due to what happened to me, but somebody who saw me jogging said I was running normally, and then I staggered a couple of steps and hit the ground unconscious. And when they came over and checked for a pulse, my heart was stopped. You know, that's how much warning you have of heart disease. 
you can think you're fine and you're you know moments away from death um, it's not visible from the outside it's a problem with the insides of your body there's no nerve endings on the insides of your arteries to warn you that you're you're about to die but uh, it can come very suddenly and as glenn you probably are aware of the statistics there's a, about a three percent survival rate if you have sudden cardiac arrest outside of a hospital your chances of dying are about 97 percent so i was extremely lucky mm -hmm. to to live through that day and uh how did how how did your luck manifest who found you how'd you how'd you get to the hospital um I was running past a house and uh, some people there that later became my very good friends, but, but at the time I, I didn't bet. know them and they didn't know me, but the young couple there had a, had a, a kid who was uh, one years old and happened to have a birthday on the same day that mom ha was having her birthday. And uh, to celebrate this double birthday, grandpa and grandma flew out from the East coast. And they happened to be outside with the little one and saw me across the street go down. So the, the uh, grandma called to grandpa who had had some lifeguard training and he came over and started giving me chest compressions. The, the people who lived there, the young couple, they called 911 and the, the firemen were there in four minutes. They know that because they saw uh, the timer on my, my wrist uh, said six minutes and I was two minutes into my run where I went down. So they were there extremely quickly. They um, hooked up the automatic defibrillator, which determines whether a person needs a shock or not. If the, if there's absolutely no, nothing going on in the body, they won't shock. And if the heart is beating normally, the machine doesn't shock. But if the heart is quivering, fibrillating, then that's appropriate for the shock. And the machine says clear and zap. And uh, my heart started beating a little bit. Of course, the problem that caused the heart attack was still there. So I was in no way healthy, but um, got a little bit of heartbeat back um, a few minutes. So you got one mm -hmm. shock, one shock from the defibrillator? That's what they tell me. I spent a bunch of time going back through these mm -hmm. 17 people that were involved in various stages of saving my life that day. Cause again, I don't remember any uh -huh. of it, but uh, a few minutes uh -huh. after that, the um, uh, another fire crew arrived from further away and uh, they had somebody that was a little bit more knowledgeable about these sort of emergency events. And they hooked up a heart monitor to me and they could see the heartbeat, ching and the the points in the heartbeat are labeled A, B, C, D, E, and in the S, T segment, if that's up a little bit, that's called S, T elevated myocardial infarction or STEMI, and uh, they could tell from that waveform that I had a cardiac arrest and it was in this particular artery in my heart. So they called the local hospital, told them to get ready. This was a Sunday morning. And so there would have been no, nobody there uh, in the operating room, but because they had advanced warnings, a warning from the, the field diagnosis, the doctor and several technicians were there uh, by the time I arrived in the ER via ambulance. Um, I only 
found out about the ambulance a month later when I got a bill from them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> otherwise, I never would have known there was an, an ambulance involved. Um, went, went later and, and found the guys who transported me and got pictures of me healthy uh, or, or a lot, uh, heart beating anyway, uh, shaking their hand next to their ambulance. But, you know, they got me to the ER, the doc there spent less than a minute confirming that yes, I would have ST elevated myocardial infarction upstairs to the, the room, the operating room. They cut a slit in the inside of my thigh to access the femoral artery, the big artery in your leg. They started pushing a small uh, plastic tube, a catheter up against the blood flow up and around the aorta and which is the big artery that comes out the top of the heart and spreads the blood everywhere in your body. So they, they rounded that. And then the, the heart muscle itself uh, gets oxygen and nutrients from coronary arteries. The blood that flows through the middle of the heart, that's not where the muscle gets its, uh, its oxygen and nutrients. It has to have its own blood supply that comes around the outside of the heart muscle. And it comes through coronary arteries that are fairly tiny, you know, pencil-sized things that split off from this massive aorta. So uh, while I'm on the table, the, the uh, surgeon is pushing this catheter through the big aorta and then turns the corner and goes, uh, starts pushing it into the uh, coronary artery. And then they, uh, they squirt a little dye and look at me under the... Um, a, a videography, the x-ray machine, and they can see where the, the dye is flowing and they saw, yep, he's got a clog in his left anterior descending coronary artery. The LAD, left anterior descending, is sometimes called the widow maker for, for obvious reasons, mm -hmm. pretty commonplace for a clog to happen. And then they, um, from this catheter in my leg, they pushed a small compressed metal mesh tube called a stent they pushed that into the position where they had seen in the x-rays that where my clog was. And in the middle of this metal mesh tube is a cylindrical balloon and they can inflate that from the outside and it expands the metal mesh, mashing the debris away and, and mashing it into the walls of the coronary artery so that you can have blood flow down the middle of this metal tube. So that's what they did that day. Again, I was, unconscious for all of it, but um, uh, they were they were quite happy with the result. I did survive. Um, the, uh, I was a little little dicey in the hospital for a while that I would, for the first day or so, I would wake up from a, my coma and, and I'd see my wife there and I'd say, honey, where am I? What happened? And she'd say, well, you, you had a heart attack. You're in the hospital. And I'd say, oh, okay. And I would kind of drift off. And a few minutes later, I'd wake up again. And I'd say, where am I? What happened? You know, I, I couldn't, I had no mm. memory of the conversation from a few minutes before due to the period of time when my brain didn't have enough oxygen. So they weren't sure that I was going to come back again uh, at all. And it, how long did it take before your clarity came back? It was back? about three days. And then I could start to remember really? conversations. The, uh, this 3% who survived cardiac arrest, the majority of them have residual brain damage or heart muscle damage. And I seem to have neither. So I'm, I'm extremely lucky. 
Although, you know, when I forget my wife's anniversary, I say, oh, honey, it was the heart attack. <laughs> not the fact that I'm now 65 years old and have gray hair. No, no, that it was, it was the heart attack. Okay. So um, uh, what, how long did it take before the doctor said to you, you're doing great, you can go home? Five days. Five, five days. days in the hospital. Uh, no. Uh, Do you remember what they fed you to eat in the <laughs> hospital by the way? Not that time, but I, I, uh, later I was yeah. getting ahead of the story. I was in the hospital three months later because the, the stent failed and I had to have more, had more uh-huh. problems. And at that point, I knew what to eat. And I'd asked for a vegan uh-huh. meal. And, you know, they bring me uh, some things, including yogurt. <laughs> it's like, do, do you know what <laughs> <Yeah>. vegan means? <laughs> And this is right. a hospital, right? They should they should know this stuff. But no, so the first time I was uh, after three days, they took me to a different hospital. You know, the, I was I'm a Kaiser Permanente patient. That's a big health maintenance organization. And uh, but the on my heart attack day, you know, they took me to the closest hospital, which was not Kaiser. But after I recovered enough, then they they took me over to the the Kaiser Hospital. And and after five days, they said. Yep, you can go home. Um, they said, don't go back to work just yet. So I took another week off from work. But after, you know, about two weeks, I was back to work. I thought, you know, dead on the street, <laughs> back to work. That was not, not too bad. But then they said, uh, don't go back to running just yet. Because again, many people with a cardiac arrest have the heart muscles permanently damaged by this period of time where it doesn't have enough oxygen. So they did some more tests, a perfusion test that involves radioactivity and a special imager and so on. And but it came back and said, "Yeah, your heart is doing what it's supposed to do. You're you're fine." So after about three weeks, they said I could gently go back to exercising. And at some point in my recovery, they said, uh, "You know, this one mile that you're running in you know seven minutes or something that's really not enough to you need a longer period of time of elevated heart rate." So to really be healthy. So I started running longer. And um, now I run three miles, 5k every morning. Now, now, John, the way the way I remember the story, and frankly, the way I tell the story, because sometimes I tell your story, and it may not be accurate, but you know, that's the way I am. Um, The way I tell the story is after a certain period of time, a week or so, the doctor says to you, John, you're doing great. You could go home. You could go back to your life the way it was. And that you said, Doc, my life the way it was got me here. So why would I do that? Is, it, is that accurate? That, that's pretty close. It's, it's more like I didn't know if my life the way it was got me here. But I did know that my, the life the way it was included the heart attack. And I sure didn't want to go back to that. Right. So I... You know, so right. I asked, asked the doctor, you know, why did this happen to me? And, you know, the answer was, uh, you know, this is the leading killer in this country. What do you expect? You know, not, not a word about food, nothing. So, so you're thinking, whether you said it or not, in my version, you said it. You're, you're thinking, my life the way it was got me here. Um, 
so I got to do something different, right? And when did you resolve to study the science? I, I wish I could say that I, I sort of came upon this realization all by myself. But the truth is, a, a friend of mine at, uh, who I'd worked with at Carnegie Mellon University on robotics, somehow he had run across this article by Caldwell Esselstyn, and he sent me a link to it. And um, because SE, as you know, is very much involved in heart disease issues, and my friend you know, connected the two. She said, you might want to read this article. I did. And then I read Essie's book, Esselstyn's book, Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease. Wow. Uh, just astonishing. Uh, in that book, he refers to the China study written by Colin Campbell. So I read that and uh, Campbell refers to John McDougall. So I got his book and started going to these conferences where I met this guy by the name of Glenn Merzer, who was also at this conference. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I've heard he has a podcast. <laughs> and maybe some books. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Glenn, you know, you, you've been to enough of these conferences. You've read the books. It's after a while, it, it, it uh, of course, you know, it's just, it just makes so much sense. It's logical. But when you come from the other world where we've been eating these foods that are killing us and nobody's telling us that they're killing us, it's just at, at the beginning, it seems very odd to that science says that we can get rid of. Well, all right. So in Esselstyn's book, Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease, he has some very striking conclusions, which but it involved 18 patients. And so people criticized him for saying, well, how can you extrapolate to you know the, the entire country based on these 18 patients? Well, I, I know enough math and statistics that it absolutely is valid based on the ex extreme results that he found in those 18 people. But he went right. back and he- And then he did a study with 195. It cost right. a lot of money, took years. And then he eventually published that paper in a, a journal. So that's not, that came after his book. So you don't see that in the book, but um, I uh, take the numbers out of that study and that is just astonishing. Let, let me, let me cast it this way, if I may, if you do what the doctors say and you get a stent, that's one of these metal mesh tubes that I've got, it decreases the death rate according to a study that I found by about 3%. In other words, 97% of the people that get stents that would die without it still die. It's, it's like it doesn't really do much, hardly any good. If you take medications, mm -hmm. it reduces the death rate by 9%. So 91% of the people that would die without the medications still die. Hmm, that's not so good. Another study I ran into, uh, the EPIC study from the UK, where they asked a whole bunch of people, what do you eat? And like here in the U.S., um, most of them eat uh, meat and cheese and, and eggs. Um, but some fraction of them, like here, just don't eat meat. They're, they would be classified as vegetarians. Vegetarians still might eat dairy and eggs, but no meat. But in this EPIC study, they found that the people that uh, ate a vegetarian diet had a rate of a disease, heart disease that is 35% less than others. So the best medication we know reduces the death rate by 
just cutting meat out of your diet reduces is three times better. If the pharmaceutical industry had a medicine that was as good as a vegetarian diet, they would make billions of dollars, but they don't have anything like that. But wait, what about it? Right. Go ahead. And I think I know what you're going to say. What about if you eat an optimal diet? I guess we'll exactly. Then it was what ninety nine point something percent exactly improvement. And, and I, I I saw Esselstyn at one of the conferences, and I said, you know, what about what about that one percent? And she said, well, there was one guy that was on the on the diet, but then he went on a trip and he went off the diet for two or three weeks, and then he had this one cardiac event. And so we're, we could count him in the non-compliant group, but, you know, we'll put him in the compliant group just because nobody would believe 100% reduction. So we'll leave it at nine. Oh. We'll leave it at 99. <laughs> but whether it's 99 or 100, wow. it's virtually all heart disease deaths. Just go away if you eat the right things and avoid eating the wrong things. Isn't that astonishing? Yeah, yeah. it is astonishing. And, you know, Rich has a similar story because Rich had a, a stroke, a mini stroke at the age of 28. Yeah. And, and then and then multiple ones. I had a few more uh, throughout the years and finally was able to wake up and followed a, a similar path that you did. Finally, you know, I, I had to say to myself and I came to the same conclusion that you did that like, hey, you know, this isn't working. What the doctors are telling me to do is not working. I better find another path here. Well, what I'm wondering, John, is it, when did all this happen to you? So this happened in what year? 2009. I had my my cardiac arrest. I so this was even like this, this predates forks over knives coming out as a documentary um, where I think, you know, that really started to wake some people up and then other documentaries, uh, you know, subsequently following. So you had to do some, some research then on your own to get to the, to that point. And that's, that's highly commendable because a lot of people won't take that step to do it. Now they, they, they could find it on Netflix if they want to, but, but back then that wasn't a thing. So, um, I, I applaud you for being able to make that leap and that step and to say like, Hey, this is, you know, I, there, there's gotta be something else I could do here. And you sought it, you found it. And, uh, boy, uh, you know, Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn was a great way or a great place to start. Well, I do love that movie. And just as I was really getting immersed in, uh, this, uh, a new environment with all these researchers, you know, Esselstyn and Campbell and McDougall, then, then Forks Over Knives came out and it stars all of those people. And it's like, oh, this is <laughs> so much easier than going all over and finding all these books and papers and stuff. But yeah, I love that movie. It, it's changed a lot of lives yeah. as have each of the, the books. And uh, Rich, uh, when you discovered the diet mm -hmm. and you started eating that way, you started eating a, a plant-based diet, how much resistance did you get? And then I'll ask the same question to John. Yeah. And for me, you know, it didn't come from me because almost right away, I felt a difference in my body to the point where it's like, okay. And I, I guess I'm like every other person. When you start having wins, when you try something different and you're getting small victories along the way, you know, it just reinforces that you're on the right path. Um, so I, it did, the resistance didn't come from me. I know a lot of people think I could never give up bacon or I could never give up cheese. That was easy for, for me to do. The hardest part, and, and we've talked about this, Glenn, just comes 
from your own family because now I, I think what the resistance from them is more than anything else isn't that you're getting healthier. It's now that they have to examine their own path and what they eat and then they feel like you're judging them when really, you know, it's not that I, I don't care less what they would eat. I'd love to see them eat healthy and, and be on the right path, but that's not what I was thinking at all. I wasn't trying to judge them. I was just trying not to die for them. And so the, the resistance that I was getting was from them though. And, you know, because they almost make you feel like you're kind of, a, you know, the, the odd one, the askew one, and, you know, you're kind of forcing them to examine all of their own values and what they're eating. So, so the resistance came from them. That, that was actually the hardest part, but now all of that has faded away because they've seen the positive changes in my life. They've tried it themselves. Now my son is hundred percent plant-based and, you know, playing baseball and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, I think once people, you know, see it, uh, you know, they can grow from it. And I, I know for me, it just reinforced that I was on the right path the entire time. And I, I don't know if John's experience is similar to that, but I'm guessing it probably is. John, did you have, did you meet with resistance? There's, there's definitely some resistance there, but I took a kind of a different path. Um, at the time I had my cardiac arrest, two of my, my two younger kids of, of three were still at home in high school. Um, and um, my wife was cooking for the four of us as she always had. And I was learning this new way of eating and cooking and, and it was evolving quickly. And so in, instead of trying to get her to do something and then say oh, the next day, oh no, I, that wasn't quite what we wanted, you know, I want something else. I just said, I'm gonna cook for the family. And so for a year I cooked and I have to say that first little while <laughs> my, my kids were not enthralled <laughs> with the taste of the, of the food that was coming out. And there's, there's some uh, dishes, you know, one of my standbys was you, you go and get a tube of polenta, which is just cornmeal, slice it mm -hmm. into little discs, put it in a tray, get some no oil pasta sauce and put it over the top. A couple minutes in the microwave, you're, there's your meal. Well, um, after uh -huh. the third day in a row of this, <laughs> you know, the, the kids are kind of tired of it. And even to this day, they was like, they don't want to touch polenta, but, but, um, you know, so I, uh -huh. I just, I just cooked for a year. The kids really didn't have a lot of say in it. And my wife was happy after, you know, 25 years of marriage. Wow. John's finally going to do some cooking. So, so that was, that was okay. But then there was one thing that we did as a family that, that made a huge difference at the time. I'm not sure he's doing it now, but at the time, John McDougall had these vacations in, in various places. We went to one with him in Costa Rica. We sort of read about it. And then we, for some reason, some way I found out that Caldwell Esselstyn and his family, his wife and his kids and their kids, the whole Esselstyn troop was going to be at this particular John McDougall vacation. It's like, Oh, two for one, I got to go. So you, so you go yeah. down there and, you know, during the days you go tubing down the river, or zip lining through the jungle. And then at the evening, McDougal gives a lecture. And this was for like seven or eight days in a row. And it, by this time, um, my kids and my wife, you know, when I'd start talking about this latest study I found, you know, they kind of roll their eyes and they, you know, kind of tired of it uh, and weren't really wanting to hear more from me. But when they heard it from McDougal, it made a big difference. So my wife is very much mm -hmm. on board. Uh, my middle daughter is very much on board. 
older daughter mm, tries, but you know, when she's with friends and stuff, um, not so much. My son, he's more than happy to eat healthy stuff. When he's with his friends, he's not going to push real hard for, for vegan stuff. But the just hearing this material from a third party <laughs> seems, to, seems to make a big difference. <laughs> you, have you found that as well? So, so, so to your family, they had more credibility than mm-hmm. their father. <laughs> <laughs> Joey, with you, your kids... Uh, uh, feel that you had credibility? They did, you know, and, and then Joey then also did his own research and in his senior year of college, which was um, just this past spring, he ended up having to write a paper um, on something and uh, the paper in his business class that he ended up writing about um, had all to do with with plant-based eating and um, I think he even found that as he did the research and, you know, he watched all of the the, the same movies and read a lot of the uh, the, the same books that I did and, um, you know, he came to, to those same conclusions and um, but I think he he kind of thinks that I have credibility anyway, so I'm kind of lucky that way that my son actually believes in me a little bit. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of like that. But then he also found it out on his own and did his own research and said, you know what, Dad, you were right. And uh, yeah. Rich, Rich, did I call you Joey? Yeah, it, it's okay. Yeah, I was thinking of your son, Joey. It's a, it's a compliment. Rich, uh, John, Rich's son, Joey, may become a professional baseball player. He's, he's got a ways to go now because right now he's a college baseball player, but he's so good, and he became good after going on this diet. He had an injury, and the, the diet healed the injury, reduced the pain, the inflammation, and the more plants he eats, the more home runs he hits. That's right. <laughs> so I'm kind of dedicating the podcast to following the Joey story. And making sure that he first becomes a professional baseball player and then makes all of the major leagues vegan. Great. So that mm. is the task. It's a big challenge. That we have, <laughs> we have set out for him. Um, so now, John, after you've discovered that this was all unnecessary, this cardiac arrest, that... It was all because you were eating the standard American diet, and the standard American diet is a diet that promotes disease. You basically seem to have decided to dedicate your life to getting that story out, to, to changing people's uh, ways of eating and to give people that knowledge. You founded something called NUSCI.org, stands for Nutritional Science, that's N-U-S-C-I dot org. And people can go there for lots of information, scientific studies, success stories, and so forth. You gave away tons of books, including my books, to people, had lots of webinars and events. Um, uh, tell us about all the things you've done to try to get the story out. Well, it started uh, informally with me just talking to my family and my friends. And, you know, I would go over to somebody's house and I realized after a while I needed some material to leave with them. So I kind of made slides. And and after a while, I I realized it would be more effective. I could reach more people if I uh, did it in my office since uh, I had 
access to my uh, office's um, conference rooms, especially in the evenings, they weren't being used anyway. So I would invite people to come and I would share what I had learned um, over the years. Uh, as I learned more, I put more <clears throat> into my slides with pictures and animations and so on. So before COVID, we were doing about one of these a month, uh, typically 20 to 50 people in the room. We would bring them in. We, uh, I'd talk, The event would run for three hours. I'd talk for two and a half hours in the middle. We'd break for dinner, which I would provide to them at no charge. They'd also get a free book. Uh, one of the, you know, one out of 10 of the best books that, that I uh, felt were out there. So, um, and yeah, over the, and sometimes also we would give coupons at conferences. Um, there was the Healthy Taste of LA conferences for many years, the Healthy Lifestyle Expo, uh, lots of other uh, conferences that are aimed in this direction. I would go there and I would ask the organizer, can I give a coupon good for a free book to every one of your attendees? And they would say, sure, that, you know, that makes our, our conference all that much more valuable. So, and so people would go to our website and choose the, the, their book and we'd mail it to them at no cost. So that, that was originally I would give out books and I, I found after a while that people didn't necessarily read them. In fact, a person oh, no. that I knew quite well um, told me that uh, she was on her way to the hospital in an ambulance having a heart attack. And she wished she'd read that book, Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease, that I gave her, <laughs> but she hadn't. So in, instead of giving out books, we give out coupon for a free book. So if, if somebody really isn't interested, they won't bother to redeem the coupon. But if, oh, but if they really are interested, we're, we'll give them the book for free. And um, as you well know, Glenn, my my list of, of top 10 books uh, includes a number of titles uh, authored or co-authored by Glenn Merzer. Um, I think maybe the first one was the Mad Cowboy. Is that the, one of your, your early mm -hmm. ones? Mad Cowboy by Howard Lyman with Glenn Mercer. Yeah. Yes. And uh, let's see, what's the most recent? You, you did one with Chef AJ, a couple of them with Chef AJ. Um, but that's right. it. Own your health. Yeah, that's. <laughs> Own your health. Love, love it. Uh, for people, li people listening to this, this is a really serious topic. This is life and death. But you read about life and death from Glenn Mercer and you'll laugh. I just, <laughs> I really, I really enjoy your, your writing, Glenn. Thank you, John. Um, and then one thing that you also did in order to promote this lifestyle is you started a business called Little Green Forks. So tell us about that. How long has that been That's going? That's been going for about 10 years now, but we made a, a big change recently. Uh, this came about because people would go and hear me talk and they'd say, okay, John, now I know I need to eat these foods and none of those foods. How do I get that? You know, I go to the restaurant. I, I, it's really challenging to find something healthy. I go to the grocery store and it's hard. Um, you know, how, how do I get this food? Where, where do you get it, John? Well, I told you earlier, I'd spent a, a I, I took over cooking at home, did that for a year. And then I decided I need to get back to work and quit spending a couple hours every day researching recipes and buying 
groceries and chopping vegetables and so on. So I hired a chef to cook meals for my family and any of my employees who are interested in, in it in our uh, break room at our company. And uh, people would see that and I'd tell them about, you know, that's where I get my food. And they'd say, well, can, can I buy food there? Well, no, we're an electronics robotics company, not a food company. But, you know, they kept asking and my chef said, you know, why don't we do this? Okay. So we started Little Green Forks. At that point, we had to move out of the break room because it wasn't to all the, the health code that requires stainless steel and floor sinks and blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. So we, you know, made it official. For about 10 years, we were supplying food to anybody who was interested in it in the San Gabriel Valley area of Los Angeles. So, you know, sort of a 20 mile radius outside of our kitchen, we would deliver the, the food. Um, but it seemed like there was lots of people that were further out than that, that could really benefit. And so we started experimenting with shipping the food. Um, we use FedEx overnight priority delivery. And um, in the early days, there were some issues. Uh, we shipped it to ourselves and you know, we'd find the soup had broken open in the inside of the box and so on. So we, we honed our packaging techniques and uh, insulation and uh, ice packs and so on. Uh, and we're get, we've gotten pretty good at it. So we can get it to uh, 48 states, you know, continental US, uh, you go to the website, littlegreenforks.com and pick out what day you want the food to be delivered and pick out which items you want and, and we'll send it off. Um, I, I, I should, I should focus on the positive, not the negative, but I got to tell you <laughs> the worst, the worst experience we had was in the middle of last winter, a gentleman in Kentucky ordered our food and it was the middle of a combination of a, a winter a snowstorm and a shortage of uh, pilots due to COVID problems. And so FedEx overnight, uh, it actually arrived in six days. <laughs> so we had to, we had to refund him his, his money, but, uh, he got, he got a he refund, did. but I'm guessing, I'm guessing that, well, I know for a fact, cause, uh, I have, uh, I have, uh, been to your website. Um, it's not just uh, polenta in tomato sauce. Is it? <laughs> All kinds of meals. Tell tell us some of the some of the favorites. Uh, the one of the best ones, and and I, I'm I, I'm actually a, a little bit proud that I had something to do with this uh, is our lasagna. Um, and you, you say, how can you make lasagna without cheese, especially ricotta cheese, the the white stuff that goes in between the layers. Well, mm -hmm. we've uh, honed the recipe to use tofu with lemon juice and some spices so that it really does taste a lot like uh, ricotta cheese. And uh, we, of course, use whole wheat noodles. So they're the most healthy we can come up with. And uh, that, that's our top seller. Uh, second one, actually, the thing that sells more than anything else is, is not an entree. It's a salad. We have a Southwest salad. It has romaine lettuce and um, uh, tomatoes and uh, and black beans and uh, a sauce that's made with lemon juice and cumin uh, uh, dressing. So it, that's a, that's our top selling item. Other entrees, there's one called the sweet potato bowl, 
we actually took this recipe from Rip Esselstyn's uh, book. Um, Rip is uh, Caldwell's son, and he has a book, Engine Number Two Diet or something. Engine Two right. Diet. Yeah. yeah. And he has in it a sweet potato bowl. Uh, it has uh, chunks of sweet potato, mango, red bell pepper, and a, a dressing with balsamic vinegar and lime and some cilantro on it. Rip also puts in avocado, and we don't because we're aiming for super low fat. You know, people that might have heart problems can feel free to eat any of our stuff because low fat. But um, the mixture of all those different ingredients together is just uh, people really like it. That's her. So this is uh, this can be found at littlegreenforks.com, right. Right, right, John? Can I can I throw and, out a couple of uh, other you... good tasting things, if I may? Burritos. Sure. You want to make a burrito out of a flour tortilla? Almost all flour tortillas have oil in them. We're dedicated to no oil, and uh, we it took us years to find a tortilla that doesn't have oil in it, but we found it. And so uh, that's a, a very, very popular item. And the, the, the last thing I, I want to tell you about is uh, our sweet potato pumpkin pudding. We got this um, recipe from Chef AJ. I think you guys all know her. Uh, she very modestly says, well, of course, I got it from somebody else. And you know, maybe they got it from somebody else. But uh, this, this, uh, Pudding take, takes three ingredients, sweet potatoes that are roasted. So it gets that nice roast flavor. You add bananas for sweetness and pumpkin spice, three ingredients, mix them all together. Looks and tastes like pumpkin pie. I just, I just love wow. it. And desserts are tough because you, you want it to be sweet, but you can't add sugar. You can't add dairy and eggs, which a lot of desserts have. So but this is one that you can get from a little green fork. Sorry, I just. <laughs> so that's that's ideal for Thanksgiving. Yeah. Sweet potato. What's it called? Sweet pumpkin potato spice pumpkin pie? pudding. It's pumpkin spice pudding. All right. And do you accommodate people who need to be gluten free, for example? Some of our recipes do have gluten in them, like the lasagna has wheat noodles in them. But um Many things don't. Um, we have a tamale mm -hmm. pie that was very uh, mm. is very popular. It has uh, cornbread on the top and underneath uh, beans and onions and tomatoes. And uh, we originally had that the, the um, cornbread had wheat flour in it, but we specifically uh, tweaked mm -hmm. that recipe to get the wheat flour out. So that's now gluten free and. Um, you know, a lot, many things are gluten-free. The website is very clear about which things have gluten and which don't. All right. So let's talk for a few minutes about what you have learned. And you've done a lot of independent research. You have the mind of a scientist. And you know more about this stuff than most doctors, to be sure. What have we learned about the best diet to avoid heart disease? First of all, no animal foods. Second of all, no oil. How about sugar? Sugar is problematic in large quantities. A little bit's not too bad. You know, there, there are groups that go even more extreme than, than Little Green Forks in, in my position and 
and I, which I model after many of the experts, but there are a few who go SOS free, salt, oil, and sugar free. Uh, but when I've asked the experts, um, you know, are those three things, salt, oil, and sugar, are they equally bad? Generally, they'll say, no, the oil is bad. You really want to get that out. Salt is harmful if you have high blood pressure, but if you eat this diet, you, your high blood pressure problem goes away, and then you can have a little bit of salt. You don't want a lot. You don't want, you want no more milligrams of sodium than there are calories in the item. That's sort of a rule of thumb. Right. And sugar, there's less firm guidelines that I've been able to come up with, but clearly a standard American diet is way overloaded with sugar. Um, so, so we right. um, have no, in all Little Green Forks, we have no added sugar, but, um, but of course there are, other, there are sugars in lots of things, right? A banana has a sugar, all the fruit has sugar. Um, so yeah, let's, let's minimize the sugar, but not say zero. Is that, is that consistent okay. with what, now what, what you heard, a... Glenn? Well, my personal approach is that, of course, I eat plenty of fruit, so I get plenty of fruit sugar. I try to avoid cane sugar, maple syrup, agave syrup, those kinds of things. Uh, I know I'm getting plenty of sugar in my fruits. And I do, if I really feel like a sugar fix, I have a date because they are really sweet or some raisins. Um, and I do have a sweet tooth and I do often in the evenings, I want to have a date or some nuts and nuts with raisins or something like that. But speaking of nuts, <laughs> what about the so-called healthy, fatty plant foods? I'm talking about nuts, seeds, avocado, coconut, ol olives. What, what do you have to say about these foods that are fatty but if, if eaten in their whole form, not salted and fried or whatever, but if eaten in their whole form, they are natural whole foods. Um, so how do you feel about, and do you personally eat nuts, seeds, avocado, coconut, olive? Wow. If you want to get a controversy among a group of scientists who are totally united <laughs> that animal foods are bad and plant foods are good, just ask them about nuts, because some of them, some of them are for and some against. Um, I, I think some middle ground is appropriate. Um, Caldwell Esselstyn, who's you know maybe most concerned about heart health, would say you really shouldn't have nuts except maybe a few walnuts. Uh, that would be sort of his, his guidance. Um, we it, it, and is that because of the omega fats in walnuts? I'm not sure. Is that why he's a I'm little? Not sure why that is. You yeah. know the omega threes you can okay. find in chia seeds and um, flax, flax seeds, mm -hmm. um, but otherwise, well, seeds are usually even though they might have some of this omega three, which might be good for you. Um, they're, they're high fat. And so you, you, you want to be careful. What, what I feel we should really take care with is, okay, I'm going to get rid of this dairy cheese. And so I'm going to uh, replace it with this huge block of cashew nut cheese that is, you know, 55, 65% fat, you know, so 
just maintaining your weight is going to be difficult if you're slathering on all these nut butters and nut cheeses and stuff. Um, a, a few here and there probably don't matter too much. Um, the psychologists suggest that uh, some things are addictive, and I, I know nuts are addictive to me. I can't eat a handful if the mm -hmm. jar is sitting there next to me. I'm going to you know, finish the whole jar. So I, I personally try to stay away from nuts. Our, uh, again, the, the science advisor to Little Green Forks, we say no nuts, um, although there, there might be some almond milk that slips in there a little bit, but the, the amount of nuts in almond milk is, is pretty mm -hmm. tiny. Uh, yeah. Seeds as a garnish are, seem to be just fine. Um, you know, some poppy seeds in a salad dressing or something like that. But again, to take, you know, cups and cups of seeds and grind them into a butter or a, a cheese or something, you know, you're just giving yourself a huge block of fat. So you need to be careful with that. Yeah. Rich, on your diet... Do you eat nuts and yeah. seeds? Yeah, well, walnuts it definitely seem to be. If there's a nut that that I'm going to eat, it's usually walnuts that I'm going to turn to. Um, and walnuts do. You mentioned the omega threes, the antioxidants that are in there too. Uh, they're really good for. Um, reducing inflammation as well. But again, it's one of those things, I, I'm not going to eat walnuts every night because I know what's what's going to happen to me. I mean, that's, I mean, it's just way too cal calorically dense, I, I think for me, uh, you know, overall. But if I'm going to choose one or put in my oatmeal, like, a, you know, I might take like a, a little small handful of, of walnuts that are, you know, raw, crush them up a little bit and, and put them in uh, for a little extra flavor and health. Um, I'm okay with that. Um, and, and I think too, you know, there, there's really the argument to be made you, you brought up like you know olives and stuff like that olive oil for, for forget about it but if you eat the whole olive again i think it's kind of like when you eat the whole fruit you don't get the sugar spike from an orange if you're eating all of the orange that goes along with it and the fiber helps pass it through i think it's kind of the same thing with with the olives um they're meant to be eaten whole um in that way so so i kind of like olives i'll, I'll do <laughs> you know I'll, I'll do that i'll i'll, I'll do some avocado and, and stuff like that but um yeah once you start pressing it into oil i think you're really asking for trouble Rich, I've heard some of the experts say a similar kind of thing for sugar that you can't get too much sugar mm -hmm. by eating sugar cane. You know, I've, I've never tried eating sugar cane, but I think it's yeah, I me think neither. It's really yeah. hard. But you squeeze, yep. you press the the liquid out of it and dry it, and then you can get way too much too easily. Yeah, no, and there, there's definitely better ways to get sugar. You know, you brought up Dr. Esselstyn, and I think he tells a story, I think it's in Forks Over Knives, about a doctor that had like a similar diet that he was trying to impress upon his patients back in the 1940s or 50s, um, but it had high amounts of sugar. Um, and what, what Dr. Esselstyn said is that I, they saw similar results to the diet that he was pushing nowadays. He just basically took the sugar out and saw better results uh, from it. But uh, they were on the right path, at least, um, you know, at least one doctor was back in, in the 40s and 50s. So, so, yeah, I'm not as scared of sugar. I just don't think we need it in copious amounts like you're going to find in the standard American diet, which just goes overboard with it. Right. So are there any other, John, any other dietary uh, habits that you recommend? We have eat whole plant foods, don't overdo the nuts and seeds, um, and um, uh, what other 
Any other dietary rules that you live by? Um, none come to mind right now. Um, so it really is that simple. Eat whole plant foods, and the only thing you have to watch out for is not to overdo the fatty mm -hmm. plant foods. The, and there aren't too many fatty plant foods. <laughs> um, and would you say that you get the bulk of your calories from starchy plant foods? Definitely. The experts would suggest that maybe of the three macronutrients, which is the things you get calories from, protein, fat, and carbohydrates, that fat ideals maybe 7%, uh, but say 10%, just to round it up. Uh, pro protein probably should be about 10%. Our diet in the American diet is, you know, 25, 30% protein and the low carb people want to push it even higher, but that's crazy and unhealthy. So 10% fat, 10% protein, that means 80% of your calories should be carbohydrates. And again, these are simple carbohydrates, mm. not the sugars, mostly starches and, and uh, some soluble fibers. Well, complex, complex. carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about yeah. rice, um, uh, oatmeal, uh, corn, potatoes, uh, things that many of us just love anyway. Whole grain. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, force right. me to eat more potatoes. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh. I, I, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, we have a side dish in Little Green Forks, and not very many people buy it, but I do. It's just mashed potatoes, and that's that's all it is. It's not... Do you get a discount? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but. You should you should yeah, negotiate for. But it. I just I just <laughs> I founded the company. Give me ten percent off. Something. I just spoon up my mashed potatoes. I like them. You know, a lot of people like potatoes, but then they do something wacky with them, like they uh, cook them in oil and they make them unhealthy. Or, you know, they take this wonderful healthy baked potato and they slather butter or sour cream or cheese on it, and they make it unhealthy. But the potato itself is awesome. All right, so you've now been eating this way, John, for, is it 13 mm -hmm. years? All right, and what has happened to your blood work? My uh, cholesterol at the peak was 238, which some people would say is not that bad because we do have Americans that are 300 and 400. But sort of, it's at like the American average. Yeah, the average is like 200. And so my doctor never said anything to me about yeah. that. I didn't know that I had, what is that, 238 yeah. until after my cardiac arrest. I went back into my medical record to find out. But, you know, 238 is not okay. And, and after I went on this uh, uh, attempt to lose weight and get healthier and exercise more, my cholesterol actually dropped. From, this was before I was on a healthy diet dropped from 238 to 188, even while I'm on this, this terrible diet, but I lost weight and was exercising more. Oh, so that's, that's before your before cardiac arrest. Before cardiac arrest. So people would say, well, 200 is sort of average. 188, you're great. No, I wasn't great. Yeah. The hmm. people, the experts now say you really need to be below 150 even though your doctor may say 200 is the goal. No, 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 no. Uh, the, the research suggests that uh, one third of all people with, that have heart attacks have, it, uh, have cholesterol between 200 and 150. So you'd rather be below 200 than above. You'd rather be in the one third 
group instead of the two-thirds group. But don't believe that just because you're under 200, you're okay. Again, I was 188 and I had my cardiac arrest. So then after I got in this diet, they also had me on statin drugs. And I, I don't know if you guys know, but statin drugs do drive down the blood test measurement. Doesn't have a corresponding reduction in death, no, but it, it makes you think you're healthier because the, the number goes down. So I was on this health. So you can die with better numbers. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so I was. Something to brag so about. So I was uh, on this healthy diet after, you know, a month after my cardiac arrest, and, and but I was still on these drugs. And I, uh, my total cholesterol went under 100. And at, at that point, I said, doc, doc wow. you know, I can get off these drugs. You know, it doesn't need to go that low. And they said, oh, you should be on this for the rest of your life. And then I started researching all the side effects and the terrible things that come from taking these statin drugs. That, no, let's get off. So, okay, so we'll cut it in half, cut it in half, cut it in half. Finally, I got off it all together. And each time I went off. How many years this ago? This was uh, 12 years ago. So the first year after my cardiac okay. arrest. So you've been off it for 12 yeah. years. And, and the last time I went off the last bit of medicine, my total cholesterol went up to 160. And of course, by that time, I knew it should be 150. And my doctor seemed to know it too. So he said, oh, see, you should get right back on that medicine. And I'm thinking, where the hell were you when I was at 238 or 188? You didn't say anything. <laughs> right. But 160 saying I should still right. be, no. I said, I'm just going to stay off the meds. So I stayed off and, you know, six months later, I got another test and I was 149. And, you know, each year it marches down. I right. think it was maybe 125 the last time I, I checked. So all uh -huh. good. And how about your LDL? LDL. I was at 130 before my cardiac arrest. And that's probably the most telling indicator that I was in trouble. And again, my doctor didn't say anything to me about that. Uh, the healthy number is considered 80, although some people are now even saying maybe 70. You know, the last time I checked, uh, I was at 60. And, and no wow. medications. I wish I could get my LDL that low. Yeah. All right. Well, this is all great advice, and it proves that heart, you know, heart disease just sneaks up on people and they have no idea that there's anything wrong. Um, and it, it's caused only, almost exclusively by diet. Also smoking is not good. Um, and, and the answer is just eating whole plant foods. Uh, and uh, it always works. Have you ever seen, John, anyone who started eating our correct diet and didn't get healthier? No. no, everyone gets healthier. It always works 100% of the time. So thank you, John, for sharing your story with us this thank evening. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you, Rich. And, um, oh, Rich, we lost your audio. Rich?
Here I am. Yeah, John, excellent stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah, great stuff and and love your story and really think it's inspirational for a lot of people as, as well it should be. I wish I could inspire my dad that way and uh, hopefully uh, he'll listen to the podcast and maybe get a clue. He's only 72 years old and he keeps thinking that it's too late, too late, too late. And I'm like, it's not, dad. There, there are stories out there. There are people that have been able to turn it around and you can be one of those people. And so, yeah, I'd really love to see him uh, get on board. Hopefully this can inspire him a little bit. So love your story, John. Great. If I can make one, one final comment here. Um, sure. The, with a really low survival rate of cardiac arrest, you need to make the change before you know you have a problem. And I define intelligence as that way, making the change to a plant-based diet before you have cardiac arrest. Rich, you're intelligent. Glenn, you're intelligent. I was not intelligent. I, I didn't make the change until <laughs> afterwards. And I was just super lucky to have the opportunity to make that change. So that's why I hope that Rich, your dad, and anybody listening to this podcast will make the change before it's too late. Agreed. Well, let me just say, before you give Rich too much credit, he did have a few he strokes. Did. Right. Yeah. So, uh... <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yep. But you were right about <laughs> now. I actually, you know, I didn't have a stroke or a heart attack, but I did have lots of relatives around me dropping dead, and it seemed pretty clear to me that it was because they ate meat. So I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to be middle aged at twenty five, <laughs> which is why I, uh, I just. Gave it up at 17, but it took, uh, stupidly, it took me 19 more years to give up dairy because people told me that I needed to have dairy to have protein, and I was an idiot. <laughs> all right. Now that we've concluded that we were all <laughs> foolish, we're, we're trying to spread the word so other people won't be foolish. Uh, thank you again, John. Thank you. Thank you, Rich. Great job. And yeah, everybody, to find out more about the Glenn Merzer podcast and to subscribe and all that kind of stuff, go to realmeneplants.com, click on podcasts there, and you will find out all about Glenn and the Glenn Merzer show. While you're there as well, make sure you check out the 30-day challenge and find the YouTube channel and all of that good stuff. And remember, you can find the Glenn Merzer show wherever you get podcasts and hit that subscribe button so you know every time a new episode comes out. So great job, John. Glenn, we'll do it again, right? Yeah. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Um, let's see. What do we have booked next? Uh, we have... 